This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Monday and that means it's time for our Zoomer Squad. And we're still talking about long-term care. Last week, the authorities began allowing residents to leave for overnight visits as well as daytime visits. But that is at the discretion of the home. So how is that working? And has the whole issue of long-term care dropped off the radar for the government? Now that the crisis is passed, I'm not seeing increased staffing or preparations for that second wave that we're expecting. And speaking of the second wave, a new poll finds an overwhelming majority of Ontarians are afraid that is near and coming, with levels of anxiety remaining unchanged since the first pandemic erupt since the pandemic first erupted uh, in March. So around 83% of Ontarians surveyed say they're worried that social distancing and lockdown measures are being relaxed too quickly. And 73% say they're becoming more wary of people's ability to properly follow protocols and curb the spread of illness. Meanwhile, Zoomers want at-home testing kits. What about you? What do you think about all of this? 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to our Zoomer squad. David Kravitz, Vice President of Zoomer Media and Chief Marketing Officer at CARP, Bill Van Gorder, Interim Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Peter Mugridge, Senior Editor of Zoomer Magazine. Hi, everyone. Hello, Libby. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, uh, shall we start with long-term care? Residents can go out for the day. They can have an overnight visit. The caveat is it's at the discretion of the home, like other visits are. And if they're going overnight, they have to self-isolate. And it's unclear to me if there's any discretion in that. David, what do you think of that? I think it's... um on paper, it sounds good, but what we're really entering here is a tremendous fragmentation and decentralization of all of this because each home uh, has the right to um, some discretion over uh, coming back in, going back, going out. Uh, what are the facilities? What what's available? It's quite logical that one size would not fit all, and I think it's part of a larger discussion. I, I hope we have today about the degree to which individuals are now going to have to step up and do an awful lot of uh, policing and management of all these different regulations, some of them contradictory, particularly when we get into home testing and other things. So we're seeing the one big central answer dissolve into dozens of sort of mini answers that people are going to have to somehow navigate. Okay. Uh, uh David, what do you? Th- oh, sorry, Peter, what do you think? Um, I, yeah, most of what David said was, uh, you know, makes an awful lot of sense. Um, as well, um, one of the stipulations is the 
uh, home has to have the ability to uh, house the patient in isolation uh, when he comes back from an overnight visit, when he or she comes back from an overnight visit. I'm not sure how many homes have that ability. Um, Some of the better organized ones probably will, but if they don't have that ability, then they're going to just say no to the visit. So, um, I, again, it, it's it's this uh, situation where some homes will be able to, some homes won't, and it's going to cause a, a certain amount of frustration, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Bill? Everything that David and Peter have said is, is absolutely true, and it really boils, boils down to the inconsistency that confuses and worries a lot of our uh, CARP members. For instance, uh, you have to self-isolate for 14 days if you've been out of, of your facility for overnight, uh, but you don't have to if, if you've been out all day. What's what's the difference? Why why is one uh, seemingly more risky than uh, than another? Uh, people are feeling that the restrictions are being eased uh, too too quickly and without real thought, and finally without real consult- uh, uh, consultation with the seniors and their their families. They're feeling totally left out of this whole discussion of what's being, uh, what's being done to uh, try to protect them or not. I'm assuming that the distinction is uh, simply that if you're overnight, it's a longer period of time, so a chance for longer exposure, um, for what that's worth. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's probably it, but I'm I don't think people really, really understand why. Uh, if you're out during the day, you're in many different places. You're probably exposed to uh, uh, more uh, chances of contracting the virus than if you're overnight and, and staying in a family member's home. Yeah. Um, Bill, what's this issue about at-home testing kits? Uh, I can certainly understand why someone who is in a vulnerable group, uh, a older person, doesn't want to stand in line with a whole bunch of people who are afraid they have the virus. Well, that, that's true. And, and also, uh, people feel that if they could do their own testing, it would e- ease their anxiety. It would be uh, you know, supportive of maintaining a kind of a positive outlook of being able to look after my, myself, my own, uh, my own health, and give them an opportunity to, to test when... Uh, uh, when they can't get to a facility, uh, people who are uh, uh, very much confined to their own home for other reasons and can't easily get out, uh, people who don't have family to take them for testing. And testing is, is only uh, available, really, if you think you have a, a solid reason that you have contract might have contracted the virus, and this gives you an opportunity to do your own uh, your own testing and know whether or not you're safe. It all comes down to relieving that anxiety and concern that's being felt by so many older adults uh, these days. Well, Bill, I, first of all, I, th- I think that testing is now uh, the the rules for getting one is uh, they're loosened up uh, more than that here in Ontario. I'm sure they're different in every province. Uh, David, what do you make of that? I mean, the other side of it is that if you're isolated at home, chances are you didn't get it. Well, I I just don't understand the underlying logic of Health Canada saying that there's a risk for a false positive or it's a risk you're going to not do the thing properly. I mean, are they forbidding me to go online and look up uh, uh, 
signs that you may have COVID and come to my own diagnosis without such a test. I mean, people are should be free to be able to avail themselves of, uh, uh, you know, what's out there, unless there's something dangerous about the test itself, which I don't believe there is. So uh, I, this is another example of a, a kind of an overcautious uh, worrying about some, you know, hypothetical problem and treating the public as if we were all, uh, you know, infants in, infantilizing the, the, the public, and it's being done so by a, a, a ministry that has not necessarily distinguished itself uh, no, to, all the time on this, federal, on this topic, frankly, you know. Federally, I think uh, I I have don't have a lot of respect for what's happened federally, though in, in some of the provinces it's been pretty good. Yeah. But Peter... Yeah. Isn't it possible that part of the hesitation on this is the cost? Well, the the uh, the ones I saw were fairly cheap. Like they were they were you know five dollars, and uh, and I'm sure with the the more volume, the the price will go down. Um, Ford Ford talked on the weekend about working with uh, Shoppers Drug Mart to put um, testing centers in there, and and that's a solution that that might be uh, acceptable to the uh, to Public Health Canada. But um, until that happens, you know there there are lineups. There there are you know people in rural areas have difficulty finding test centers, and this is just another um, you know it's arming you with more information that and that can't be a bad thing. Yeah, well the the Shoppers Drug Mart has a deal in I forget which province, not here. So it's interesting that they are talking uh to the government, but you know, it's it's not a solution for people who are stuck at home, I guess. Right. But uh you know, also is everybody satisfied with the accuracy rate? I I know uh, David, you're not making much of the risk of false positives, but what's the accuracy rate? Well, that that I don't know. I know that I know that even with the uh, the rigorous, I'm going to use that word. I don't know what the technical word is. The, the official test where they're inserting a swab into your nose, there is a false positive rate that I think is more than fifteen percent. But uh, I don't know what it would be with this one. Okay, moving right along, and and here's what happens when the government makes announcements basically just minutes to air, because then it's it's hard <laughs> to uh, separate uh, the truth from the half truth. Let's say, so they just announced deals for vaccines. Now, I had a fascinating interview here last Thursday with Dr. Amir Adaran who wrote an incredible piece in McLean's magazine, basically saying the government has bungled the procurement and the agreements that all of us thought we had after a similar announcement weeks ago was was an agreement to pursue a purchase, not to make a purchase. And, and again, there were a lot of weasel words in this announcement saying, well, we're not going to actually purchase it till it's safe. And uh, Dr. Adaran's concerns was that if, if we don't plunk our money down on the table, then we're, we're going to be last in line. Who wants to take that, Peter? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, okay, Peter, go ahead. Um, yeah, well, the the uh, it seems other countries have gone ahead and made uh, firmer deals with uh, with companies. I, I I know the one um, that was announced last week was or early 
I can't, I can't remember if it was Friday or just recently, it was Novavax. That was which, a few minutes ago. Okay, and that, yeah. Novavax is currently in phase two, and they haven't tested on older adults yet. Um, and the other two, um, Moderna and Pfizer, are both in phase three. So they're, they're a bit ahead of the game, and they all have different uh, ways of, um, you know, vaccinating against the virus. And, and so... Uh, I'm not sure where the government's head is at on, on this, whether they're just sort of, uh, you know, expanding their options and making deals with all three or, or, or what it is. But none of it was very clear. And I'm just trying to breeze through the statement today. And it doesn't really add a lot of information to what we had already. Well, the Pfizer and the Moderna, they're not purchase orders. They're an agreement to pursue a purchase. Right. Uh, which yeah, is... I think it's optics. Isn't it? I mean, to, to your point, Libby, I mean, what does the word deal mean? I understand that they're not going to write a check uh, as if the vaccine had already been delivered if it's not safe and if it fails to test. And I understand that there may be some cash risk, whether you're putting down some money, you know, for an option to purchase or to secure a supply on the, on the IFCOM, and that may be some cash outlay of good faith needs to be done. But this seems to be very, very uh, iffy to me. It's... Uh, well- I don't know what to make of it, really. Frank. Well, I mean, here's the thing: our other other G7 countries have put the cash down, and it's That's not exactly. like our government has. I mean, they've been handing out money left, right, and center. There, there doesn't seem to be any worry about how much money is going out of federal coffers on this. The, the deficit is ginormous. So it's hard to imagine that what's stopping them is any kind of concern for the purse strings. So I'm just mystified by it because the Novavax is in phase two, as you point out. There are seven vaccines in phase three. And the other thing about the other two where there are these agreements to pursue a purchase is that apparently they both are using the same kind of a pathway. So it looks like either they both will work or neither of them will work. Bill. And the other, and the other countries must have some, obviously the other countries have spent some cash. These are partial payments or down payments. The pharma company is not going to be able to keep all the money if it doesn't feel the drug at all if the thing fails. And um, other people have figured this out. I don't know why our uh, our folks cannot. Uh, yeah, the other thing is, it's very uh, strange in the copy. It said, per- Trudeau said, well, you know, maybe we'll be able to um, produce some at a factory in Montreal. Well, the other thing Dr. Adaran was talking about was that other countries have license agreements to produce the vaccine. And, uh, you know, that doesn't sound like a nailed down license agreement to me, Bill. Yeah, there, there, there are, you know, a couple of things to this. And this isn't the only place where it, it gives Canadians cause to, to wonder. The whole transparency, why things are being done the, the way they are. There, there's some suggestion that this is a, an attempt to have a made in Canada solution. Well, I don't think Canadians are looking for just made in Canada. They want a solution that's, that's going to uh, work and they want one that's going to assure that we're going to get the vaccine when we uh, when when we need it when it's available and uh, they the 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 flip flop back and forth in decisions and the the uh, more reaction to questions and putting out a uh, firm a policy or plan leaves a lot of us to feel that the, there is no uh, real real plan 
and uh, that we're going to be left behind when other countries uh, finally have a vaccine. Uh, we won't have it here, and it won't be available as soon in Canada as it is in the rest of the world. Well, that's exactly. We might have some kind of uh, a option agreement, but we're not getting it first on that. Let's take a call from Phil in Toronto. Hi, Phil. Oh, hi, Libby. I, I, I haven't called in ever to a show, but I just happened to be doing uh, First-time caller, Bell. Welcome. How are you? Fine. How are you? Um, good, thanks. Um, I was just going to say that when you, uh, you you had a discussion there with Dave and another gentleman that I overheard that said that they're going to allow people where you can go out and about all day, but to stay overnight, they're they're restricting it or something. Well, they're uh, you're going to have to self isolate if you stay overnight for fourteen well, days. Here's here's what I was thinking. I was thinking because you're staying overnight, you're actually in someone else's bubble. And you're inside an enclosed area, and apparently just like restaurants, when you go into an enclosed area, the danger of picking up the virus is far greater than when you're sitting outside or if you're out and about. And maybe that may be why they're more uh, stringent about that rule about staying overnight. Well, it's they're, they're now allowing inside visits at, at, in homes, and they're allowing you to go out for the day without a, specifying it, if it has to be outside or inside or what. So... Uh, yeah, I'm thinking that's the, the, that's the alleged reason, too. Uh, but the thing is, I guess it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, Phil, thanks for your call. Well, I just was going to say, when you're staying overnight, you're eight hours or ten hours in that enclosure. But if you're visiting for a half an hour or an hour or two hours, it really lessens the probability. But anyways, that's the only thing I could think of. And uh, I like your show. Thanks okay, thanks a lot. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's hard to figure out the logic of a lot of this. And in the meantime, you know, we have this poll saying that people are really worried about a second wave. I, I just got some breaking news, by the way, that Ontario's four teachers unions are filing challenges with the Labour Board over the province's back-to-school plans, and they have been threatening to do that. So... People are anxious. Uh, the return to school is something that is making people, not just parents of school-aged children, very anxious. Uh, and there's stage three, and it's there are more people out and about, and it's harder to distance. So where does this leave the Zoomer population, Bill? That's a very good question. The, the, uh, the, the Zoomer population are really caught in the middle of this. They want to be supportive of, of family and their grandchildren going back to school. They're also very concerned that uh, the schools are going to be the the petri dish that uh, makes the the COVID uh, nineteen spread uh, even more than it than it has been. And they're they're really on uh, on the horns of the dilemma. Do they uh, do they help their their children and their grandchildren by providing the kind of before and after school uh, school care that they they always had? And what if they're are two grandparents in a home, one who is at risk and the other that that isn't. It isn't. What does a not at risk grandparent do? Choose to uh, uh, stay with their their spouse and not help their family, or help the family and either uh, uh, disassociate themselves from their spouse, or uh, or risk uh, bringing it back into the home. Uh, all these uh, inconsistencies around uh, school uh, opening, and then they're different from. Uh, in different parts of the province, there's no uh, there's no consistency there. So they're they're worried, and they don't feel they have any control over what to do about it. 
Mm -hmm. David, I'm worried that the whole issue of long-term care has somehow slipped to the back burner. Everybody's preoccupied with school. And I haven't seen any indication that staffing is being beefed up or that anything is being done as to prepare for this second wave. Public evidence of that. There's no emergency plans. There's no contingency plans that have been announced. Um, and I don't even know that there's a coherent um, philosophy around what that second wave is and what it looks like. If you look at the first wave and the postmortems, I don't want to use that phrase, I guess, but the, the evaluation of the first wave, it was initially we were going to do this just to flatten the curve. We didn't have any expectations of stopping the infections or the, the contagion, but we were going to make sure our hospitals didn't get overwhelmed. And that worked. They weren't overwhelmed. Then suddenly the goal changed to any new case, any new infection is a bad thing. Um, now the second wave, what have we learned? Have we learned let the second wave happen, but just protect the most vulnerable who are the, the elderly? And that speaks to your point, Libby. Where is the plan? What are they going to do about that? Or are we worried that the second wave is anybody who gets it, it's a bad thing because the fatality rate is very low, especially among uh, young people, almost non-existent. So it's all over the map. And I think that's the real problem here. I don't, I don't sense any uh, strategy and any set of actions that derive from a strategy. And I think it's really going to, I hate to say this to our audience, it's really going to be up to us as individuals to be vigilant, to be careful. A CARP is advising on the school opening, don't do anything differently. Assume that you're still in that bubble for at least the first two or three weeks of school till you, till you see how it shakes out. Uh, don't be uh, closer to your grandkids than you were You know, preschool. Watch it carefully. Uh, we have a lot of responsibility as individuals to... Uh, be on our guard and assume that the system is not going to take care of us. I think that's a safer assumption. Well, that's even to assume that they that they are going to take care of us. Well, David, you know, um, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, who was on the show, she's a family physician. She is advising her patients, saying, you know, even if you've been seeing your grandkids, uh, she's advising people to stay away from them for the first few weeks. Yes, yes. And she wrote a piece that CARP put on its website with exactly that advice. Exactly that advice. That that's tough, Peter. You have a, you you have a son in high school, right? Yeah, he's going into grade twelve, and um, he's signed up to go to the in school uh, learning. So he'll be in with um, you know half the class size um, for shortened uh hours of the day and then i think two two days a week he'll be at home learning but he's under the impression this isn't going to last very long that there's going to be an outbreak and the teachers are really against it right now and um he thinks it'll be they'll pull the plug as soon as there's an outbreak the teachers will rebel the the parents grandparents will rebel and uh they'll just pull the plug and go back to home learning again like they did at the end of uh the last school term well, how are you feeling about it? You know, I know he, whatever, whatever his theory is about what will happen, yeah. how are you feeling about it? Um, you know, I, I have mixed opinion. Like, he's grade 12. It's such an important year. And, and you know, I, I feel he really needs to be in class because, um, you know, university, 
he, he's got to get ready for university. You know, like he, he can't sort of do that on his own. He, he needs to be in a academic setting, I think. So I'm hoping it goes well. I mean, uh, you know, the NHL has been going now for how many weeks and they haven't had an outbreak. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at that as a, you know, baseball hasn't had many outbreaks. Uh, I'm looking at that as sort of hopeful bubbled, signs that though. the school system can do the same thing. They're, they're bubbled with, with well, fewer people. Well, baseball isn't a bubble. Ho- hockey is a bubble, but uh, um, I don't know. So... I, I'm I'm hoping, but I, I'm not I'm not hope, holding out much hope, you know. Okay, let's take a couple of calls before we wrap things up. Mike in Etobicoke. Hi, Mike. Hi. How's everybody today? Great. Thanks. Go I ahead. Just, I just called for uh, for uh, for one reason, but I have another a comment to make. But I just I heard on the radio re- recently that the federal government had given. China or some pharmaceutical company in China, thirty or forty million dollars, with a with a premise that when they developed, when they're ready for the third stage, they would send us back some of that, some of that uh, vac- vaccine, so we could do some testing here in Canada. But yet they've reneged on that, and I yep. just want to know what your comment was on that. Well, we covered that on Thursday, oh, uh, very very uh, extensively. So we had a deal with uh, CanSino was the group called. There were at the time people raised objections, said, you know, should we really be doing this with China given the state of our relations? And uh, the idea was that we were supposed to participate in clinical trials and the Chinese did not release the doses of vaccine to come here. And yes, it's been 40 million bucks. I don't know if it was specifically tied to getting those uh, to getting that clinical trial or if it was for the development, but right you are. That uh, definitely, uh, the government did not cover itself in glory on that. Mike, thanks for your call. I think as far as with, with, the, with the teachers, um, I think that if, if the if if the if if school starts and then there's an outbreak and then and then the teachers stop teaching, teaching, well, they still get paid their full amount. So maybe we need to tell them, look, you're going to have to go on CERB. If you don't teach, you go on CERB. You're not still going to make your 90 or, or 100,000 a year. And, and maybe that would, you know, everybody would be a little bit more compliant here and, and get the kids back in school. Okay, Mike, thanks for your call. Uh, all right. Uh, we're going to take a very quick call from Eleanor. Eleanor, like 20 seconds. We're running out of time, please. Okay. Um, if our um, old age homes um, need the care and attention. Why did the government take the $4 an hour away from the most vulnerable workers and the most vulnerable people that needed the care? Good question. <laughs> Thank you for your call. Uh, yeah, good question. Why did they end that? Uh, so, and, and, uh, you know, now we, I've had the, one of the heads of the teachers unions, uh, musing about, uh, extra pay for temporary teachers. So, uh, I don't know what's going on with all of that. Uh, it just seems like everybody is really, really anxious about everything. And with that, not that we have resolved much here, but we've put out the questions. I'm going to wrap things up and ask everybody for 20 seconds with what to leave us with, starting with Bill. We're looking for more action, more actual uh, results, and not just depending on reviews and uh, and studies. And, and that's what the government seems to be leaning on now. We're going to do studies. When are they going to set plans based on 
the learnings we've already had. Peter. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing uh, I'll watch closely uh, whether the government uh, backed or public health backtracks on its at-home uh, testing decision. I, I think they will, like they did with masks at the beginning. I, I think they'll change and realize it's a really valuable tool for people to have to uh, fight this pandemic. David? Be vigilant. Find out as much information as you can about everything. And uh, it's safer to maintain social distancing wearing a mask, be assuming that you are at risk while waiting for these new policies to emerge because uh, we, can't, uh, we can't be complacent. Absolutely. A good message to leave us with. Thank you so much to the Zoomer squad, David Kravitz, Peter Mugridge, and Bill Van Gorder. Thanks, we'll talk Rebbe. to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, Rebbe. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.